0: Today we are going to be reading from John 5, verses 31 through 47. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me and that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not, and you do not have His word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom He has sent. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words?
1: Uh, Thanks for reading that passage, Christy. Welcome, Midlands. Uh, Whether it's morning or nighttime when you're listening or watching this, uh, it's good to be together. Um, It's different, obviously. But um, I've never preached to a, a computer screen before or in a wall, um, but, uh, but that's okay because uh, God's provided an opportunity for us and just the technology for us to be able to do this and worship together even though we physically can't be together. So I'm very thankful for that. Let me uh, let me open us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time just to be able to, to be together. Um, Father, our, our hearts are together because they're bound um, with you. And uh, as brothers and sisters, Father, we, uh, we would prefer to be physically, physically together in a room together, Father, but um, we're just thankful that uh, that we have the opportunity to to be able to worship together um, from our own homes. Father, I just pray that you'll be with me um, as I share the message this morning. Father, just I ask that you overcome Uh, any of my inadequacies, Father, and that you speak, that you speak through your uh, word uh, this morning, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, a little story to start us off with. Uh, When I was in college, um, we used to do different things to try to entertain ourselves, no different than college students today. Um, One of the things that we did is we would watch this uh, a certain television show. So it was on in the afternoons. It was re- it was a rerun of an old show. And uh, so if we didn't have uh, a lab in the afternoon or if we didn't have uh, work, uh, there were two or three buddies of mine. We would get together and we would watch this show. And it was uh, about an attorney named Perry Mason. So this show was on in the 50s and 60s. Uh, some of you may have heard of it, maybe not. Um, some of you uh, um, probably uh, are familiar with the name Perry Mason if you're not familiar with the show but but Perry was a brilliant attorney and he would actually um, try these cases and his clients it just always seemed like they were guilty, the evidence was stacked against them and there was no way that they were going to be found um, innocent of the charges and so Perry would uh, do his thing and um, and then usually toward the end of the episode he would just um, have this amazing plot twist and it would allow for his uh, clients um, to be found innocent of whatever charges were against them. I think uh, from what I've read, he only lost two cases during the entire show. One was because a client actually had not been honest with him. So he lost that case and there was another case where he lost but then there was a retrial, and he actually was able to exonerate his client after that. So, um, there have been a lot of shows similar to that over the years. Um, my daughters used to like to watch uh, Matlock. We would go get Matlock um, from the library on DVDs, and uh, that's a, a show from probably the 90s, I think, that uh, had Andy Griffith starring as this attorney, and it was the same kind of situation, different, way different personality, um, than uh, Perry Mason, but uh, just a fun show to watch. And I think my girls like watching it because Andy with gray and white hair looks a lot like Grandpa and acts a little bit like Grandpa. So uh, so they enjoyed watching that. But usually when you have a book or a TV show or a movie that's got some kind of legal thing, um, theme to it, there are a few things that happen. First, at the beginning of the book or the story or the movie, there is a crime or an alleged crime and then someone is charged um, with that crime and then there's a trial. So in the trial um, evidence will be presented and witnesses will be called and then usually a lot of those shows like Perry Mason and Matlock they would have this like I said this plot twist toward the end that um, that would exonerate the accused. So if we take a look at chapter 5 of John um, the entire chapter we can look at it kind of like a legal thriller so it's kind of a three-part uh, trilogy thing. So part one was two weeks ago when Brad um, covered the actual event where Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, and then he was accused by the Jewish leaders of working on the Sabbath, and then he said, um, my father works on the Sabbath, and so shall I. And so they really got mad at him, accused him of blasphemy. Um, and so that was part one. So part two was last week when Hart was sharing with us um, the evidence. So Hart, in chapter five, verses I think eighteen through thirty, uh, he kind of goes through the evidence that Jesus lays out to uh, to define and defend his uh, authenticity as Christ. So this week we're in part three of the trial. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the story this week, um, and in this part of the story. <clears throat> we have Jesus calling his witnesses. So Christy just read the, uh, the scripture passage for us. Um, so I won't read through it all the way right now, but we'll read the scriptures and the verses as we go along. But um, the first, uh, uh, when I first started reading this, I was reading it in the ESV. And then one of the commentaries that we have that I was um, that I was using was R.C. Sproul's. It's an excellent commentary that you've heard us talk about. Um, but I read the verse, and I started off with uh, verse 31, and I'm like, well, that, mm, that didn't sound um, like the best um, way to say that. And so I didn't know what it was, didn't know what translation it was. Um, so I texted Hart, because he uh, he actually had the book. And um, so sprawl uses a, a few translations in his commentary. So one's ESV, one's NIV, and one is the new King James Version. And so this... A chapter He's actually using the New King James Version, which is a good uh, translation. I used it for probably uh, 10 or 15 years uh, back in the late 80s and 90s. But listen to verse 31. This is what kind of caught my ear. It says in verse 31, and This is Jesus talking, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And when I first heard that, I said, mm, I said, because I've been reading it in ESV. Recently, and it's not necessarily an incorrect translation, but but I think maybe we can say it's incomplete. Um, First-century Jewish leaders would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about if he said it just like that in the in the New King James King James version. If he said the statement just like that, uh, they would understand what he meant. Some other translations um, maybe give us a little more uh, insight. The NIV gives a little bit more clarity. It says, if I testify, testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. And then the ESV uh, adds a word that I think really gives us some insight. It says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. In the Old Testament, in first century uh, Jerusalem here, when capital crimes were committed, um, Suspects were tried at the city gate and uh, before the death penalty could be given at least two eyewitnesses To the crime had to give testimony and their testimonies had to agree completely And a a person could not bear witness on their own behalf um, Because it wouldn't uh, count it wouldn't be enough so at least two people had to bear witness of the event either for or against, in defense. So either against or in defense of the person that was being accused. And uh, this idea of giving a true, accurate witness was so important because it was given to us by God in the, the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And it was so serious that anybody who delivered a false witness Uh, especially in a capital crime, would then themselves be subject to the death penalty. So if it was a serious offense and you accused somebody falsely and it was determined that you did that, then that person um, may get off, but you actually would be considered guilty and you would be subject to the death penalty. So serious, serious um, situation. So... By that statement in verse 31, it's kind of a, he's using, using the legalese of Jewish law of the day. He's not saying that his testimony isn't true because it's Jesus. We know that his testimony is true. What he's saying is that according to his accusers, according to the Jewish religious leaders' own law, more witnesses are needed to support or to verify Jesus' testimony about himself. So, what does Jesus do? In the theme of a good Perry Mason episode, Jesus uh, gives evidence like Hart shared with us last week. And then he starts calling witnesses to the stand, if you want to think of it that way. So, um, Jesus calls his first witness. Witness number one, uh, John the Baptist. So, in verses 32 and 33, it says, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. So Jesus says this, and when he says that, especially verse 33 where he says, you sent to John, at this point in time, this is early in Jesus' ministry, relatively early. And so when he says these words, John the Baptist is actually more famous than Jesus. Every Jew in Israel had heard of John the Baptist. He was a big deal. And it didn't matter if you thought he was a prophet, which a lot did, and a lot followed him, thought he was the prophet to start off with, or some people thought he was just kind of a, you know, this loud, um, little different kind of guy wearing camel-haired clothes and eating locusts and honey and just a a different kind of guy. And uh, either way, no matter what your opinion was, everybody had heard of John the Baptist. And then his murder at the hands of Herod just kind of only amplified its fame. So Jesus says in 34, verses 34 and 35, he says, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He is a burning and shining lamp, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So, what Jesus is saying here is that he's neither authenticated by John the Baptist's testimony, nor is he made glorious by the light from John's lamp. Jesus is authentic, Jesus is glorious. These things are true, and what John was doing was pointing to these truths. And Sproul, in his testimony, he he says John the Baptist calls him a light that was that brought not only illumination, but intense heat, and that's very true. Um, John was bringing a message of hope, and we saw that in chapter 1 when we first started our study, where he says he's pointing at Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's the hope part of it, that elimination of what John is saying and what he shared. But there's also judgment that goes along with what John was saying, uh, which is why he rubbed some people the wrong way. Um, We see this in in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. So let me read those for us. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, did bring intense heat. He did share the truth. He pointed not to himself, but he pointed to Jesus. And he said, this is the Lamb of God to save the world. But he also was very clear that you must repent and you must follow Jesus. So Jesus calls him that in verse 35, a burning and shining lamp. John, the author of this gospel, says in chapter 1, Um, John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So that's witness number one. Jesus pointed to John the Baptist and his witness of Jesus and Jesus' authenticity. So call the next witness. Witness number two are the miracles. So in verses 36 and 37, Jesus says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. So this argument that Jesus is making in these two verses would also have been understood very clearly by the first century Jews that he's talking to. But we need to look at it closely so that we won't misunderstand um, what he's trying to say, because today, a little bit different means that we have of, of different things. So sprawl makes the point, he says a lot of people today look at miracles that are in Scripture and they say those miracles in the Bible prove the existence of God. But that's not the case. The miracles don't prove the existence of God. Um, God and his existence was established before a single miracle takes place. You can see it in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God existed prior to creation, prior to miracles. A definition of a miracle is this. It's a work that only God can do. So rather than proving the existence of God, miracles serve to authenticate the messenger that is sent from God. And that's the message that Jesus is trying to make, the point he's trying to make to his accusers. And the first century Jews would have understood that. You can look back at Nicodemus in chapter 3 when he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus isn't saying, by doing my works, I'm going to prove that I'm the son of God. Jesus said that the works that he's doing, that he was doing, bore witness of him. That the Father had sent him and the Father was testifying or authenticating his identity. And this isn't the last time that Jesus addresses his works as a witness of him. On down the road, further on in our study of John, when we get to chapter 10, we will be reading and studying this, but let me just read them here. This is another point where he's talking about his works and how It shows who he is. John chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So that's witness two, the miracles. Let's call the next witness. Witness three is the Father. The end of verse 37 and verse 38, Jesus says his voice, so he's talking about the Father, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So ultimately what he's saying, what Jesus is saying in verse 37 and 38, explains why his opponents will later crucify him he's saying, I come from God. I speak what God tells me to speak, and you don't believe me. So the people that Jesus is addressing uh, were obviously not present at his baptism uh, because it says that they didn't hear his father, father's voice at any time or see him in any form. So when Jesus was baptized, you can actually hear the father's voice. It was audible. Uh, in Matthew chapter 3, verses, the story of his baptism is from verse 16 to 27, but just let me read a brief couple of verses. It said, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. They also weren't present at the transfiguration. We know who was there. Um, Peter, James, and John, Jesus, and then Moses and Elijah. So God's, the Father's voice was audible again. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, he says, He was still speaking, he being Jesus, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So witness number three is the Father. The Father is the ultimate authority in the matter, or any matter. Um, if God Almighty opens his mouth and declares something, we don't really need another witness. When you have criminal trials on some of these shows that, we've, that I've been talking about, uh, or my time at DOT, there were times that we would... Um, be, there'd be a trial, and uh, you would need an expert witness, someone that, that was an authority on the subject, and so you would bring an expert witness in, put him on the stand, ask questions, let the opposition ask questions, and then that person would give their expert opinion. But well, when it comes to being a witness for Jesus, the Father is the expert witness about Jesus and about everything else. So... When he said, this is my beloved son, we know it's the truth. These people probably weren't at Jesus' baptism. We know they weren't at the transfiguration. But Jesus is speaking directly to, him, to them. And when Jesus speaks, it's God speaking. So he's saying, I'm talking to you. I'm speaking to you the truth. And yet you still don't believe, even the Father. So that's the third witness. Call the next witness. Witness 4 are the Scriptures. Verses 39 and 40 say Jesus is saying, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus to this point he cited as a witness John the Baptist. He cited his own miracles. He's even cited the audible voice of the father himself. And now he calls to the witness stand something that, that is really close to home to his accusers. The Jewish religious leaders of the day um, who are accusing him of blasph- blasphemy, um, and the scriptures were their thing. They were, they were all about the scriptures. And he's pointing to them, the scriptures, as the testimony of himself. And he's not just um, addressing the casual, uh, you know, Sabbath day attendant of the synagogue. He's talking to the leaders. He's talking to the men who really prided themselves on their knowledge of Scripture and especially their interpretation of Scripture. And he's saying to them, he say, you study and you debate and you study the Scriptures all day, every day, and, and you're disciplined students of the Scripture because you believe that in studying the Scripture, you will have eternal life. And Jesus was saying the Scriptures do lead to eternal life, but not of themselves, but by leading people to me. Jesus is saying the Scriptures point to me. The Scriptures will not save you. The Scriptures point to salvation, which is me. And he said, how can can you be so focused on the Scriptures? and not believe in me. And Jesus is saying to them, you're so focused on the scriptures that you're missing what they are truly saying. All scripture, all scripture points toward Jesus. In verses 41, 42, and 43, he goes on, he says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not believe me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Jesus' opponents, they they took the word of honor given by men, but they rejected Jesus, the one that came in the name of the Father. And just like these Jewish leaders, we honor ourselves. We do it today. Uh, You can look at some things that go on today. like Look at the entertainment industry. Things like the Oscars, the Emmys, the Tony Awards, Golden Globes, People's Choice, Grammys, CMAs, Screen Actor guild I don't watch any of those, but I know about them. And those are just ones that I just thought of off the top of my head. I'm sure there are a lot more where we just, you know, we like to honor other people. Uh, And the people in those industries are honoring themselves. So it's kind of interesting. We look at the sports world, you know, Super Bowl. Uh, the World Series, the NBA Finals, Super Bowl MVP, Olympic Champions, March Madness, um, college football playoffs, all these things that we, we put on a pedestal and we honor them. Um, but not just in entertainment, look at the Nobel Prize. They give Nobel Prizes in physics and chemistry, economics, literature. Um, Medicine, peace, I think that's all of them, but but they give these awards every year uh, and, uh, and honor people. So what Jesus says in verse 44, he says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek a glory that comes from the only God? So he's telling them, he's arguing, he says that your, his opponents care more about other men and what other people think than about God is still true. Just like we listed those things, we honor men more than we honor God. So whose opinion shapes our life the most? Uh, is it the opinion of other people? Um, or is it the opinion of God? Do we live to please others? Do we live to please ourselves? ourselves, Or do we live to please God? You know, this is an interesting time, this season and. It's an unprecedented time with the coronavirus and uh, so much has changed just in the last few weeks and uh, our normal routines are gone. Um, our jobs are uncertain. Some of us have already been laid off um, or work in a service industry where there's just not an opportunity to work right now. And so there's some uncertainty there. Um, even our health, you know, this, this is not... Um, a disease that only impacts a certain group of people. It's, it's impacting uh, um, all age ranges. And it's, it's been pretty devastating. But all these things that seemed pretty stable just a few weeks ago, now really seem so uncertain. But there's good news. And the good news is what we've been talking about this morning, this testimony that Jesus has been given us, the testimony of Jesus is truth and to use the modern legal language that you've heard plenty of of times when somebody's uh, taking an oath, that they're testifying. What Jesus is saying is the truth, it's the whole truth, and it's nothing but the truth. So the question is this, are we living our lives in a manner that gives evidence that we believe that? So As tough and as difficult as these days are, this gives us an opportunity to really Share the gospel with others, be compassionate, um, show love for one another, uh, connect with people as best you can um, through a time because if they don't have a relationship with the Lord at this point, things probably seem pretty hopeless. But as believers, we have Jesus, and so we have hope. So Jesus has called these witnesses John the Baptist, his miracles. The Father and Scripture. Then he kind of gives his closing argument. So here is, here is what he says in verses 45 through 47. He says, "Do not think that I will, uh, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words?" So here's that plot twist at the end of the show where Jesus has turned the tables on his accusers. And not only has he presented evidence like Hart shared with us last week and provided witnesses to his authority like we've looked at today that refutes the accusations that the leaders have brought against him, he tells them he won't accuse them to his father. He says Moses has already accused them because they set their hope on Moses and they kept looking for this Messiah that Moses talked about. But Moses, through his writing in Scripture, is a witness for Jesus. He's already pointed them to Jesus, and they don't believe Moses. All through Moses' uh, writings, the Pentateuch, you can see just a few that I'll list um, where he's talking about Jesus. Genesis 5, verse 29. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. And Genesis 49, verses 8 through 12. And then in Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17. Those are some that you can look up uh, if you wish, but I want to read two of them. One of them that's pretty famous and one of them that uh, maybe we don't think of that often. But um, Genesis 3, verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall, you shall bruise his heel. That's one that we're pretty familiar with. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 18, there's a section, verses 15 through 18, but I'll read verse 18. It says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So Jesus is saying, you, you say you believe in Moses, but Moses has been talking about me the whole time. But yet you reject me. So this is where the story ends in this chapter, verse 47. But I'm um, reading through a few of the commentaries they make a point that there's a fifth witness. Um, even though the story in the Gospel of John ends here at, at verse 47, um, that fifth witness um, is later. It doesn't, it isn't mentioned uh, in this passage because it hasn't happened yet. But we know about it now. Paul mentions it, and we see it in Acts, uh, where he says this. He says in Acts chapter 17, and this is verses 29 through 31, he says, "...being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the, the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man." The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the final witness to His identity it shows that everything Jesus had said was true and the resurrection is the final proof and with that the defense rests let's pray Father we do thank you so much for just being able to gather um, even if it's virtually like this Father to be able to come together and worship you together as a, as a family, as Midlands Father and, Lord, even though um, this is unusual, and uh, and taking our videos and putting them together so we can watch them all as one, Father is a, is a great thing, Lord. But, um, but Father, we we thank you that that's that's even a possibility these days. But Father, we long for a time when we can come back together and worship you, um, while we're together, Father, and sing together and. Uh, pray together and hear your word together, Father. We look forward to that. Lord, we thank you so much for, um, especially for Hart, Father. Just, uh, he is uh, really um, taking on a lot of the burden of the logistics of things and working through things, Father. And we're so thankful for him and and as he sends out updates and and uh, it keeps us all informed, Father, and is working hard um, uh, to pastor our church, Father. We're very thankful for him, thankful for Brad as well, and his wisdom um, as he, uh, uh, both of those men are just a pleasure um, to serve with. And Father, I'm thankful for um, others that are that are helping us stay connected through our community groups, uh, Father, and uh, as we continue to do that and continue on with our James Bible study, Father, we're just thankful again that uh, no matter what's going on in the world, that the truth is That you love us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, Father. And Father, um, you uh, love us so much that you sent Jesus. And you sent him um, to pay the price of our sins, Father. And Lord, we thank you. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus.